welcome to the One Haas Alumni Podcast. In celebration of Pride Month, we have with us a very special guest today, Stacy Nathaniel Jackson, a fellow Haas alum from the class of 1990. After a successful career in senior positions in corporate and nonprofit, Stacy is today an author, artist, and activist. As an African-American transgender artist activist, he has served on various community boards, including Mayoral Appointee of the San Francisco Transgender Civil Rights Implementation Task Force, UCSF Chancellor's GLBT Advisory Committee, San Francisco LGBT Community Center Project, and former board president of Fresh Meat Productions, a leading transgender and queer performing arts nonprofit. We also welcome on our show today my guest co-host, Alida Bautista. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me, Sean. I'm Elida Autista, Director of Inclusion and Diversity at the Haas School of Business. I've been here a couple years now, focused primarily on the student experience across our degree programs and various units that interface from recruitment to alumni. And welcome, Stacy. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here as a 60-year-old 1990 Haas alum. I'm Pleased to share my experiences with you and Olivia and I, we met at UCSF. So I am a student of yours of diversity and inclusion, the certificate program at UCSF. Yes, that's that's our connection. Just maybe three or four years ago now. I guess yeah. it would be four, easily four years ago. I've been retired about a year and a half. Wow. So Stacy, really embodying student always. Uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a pretty intense certificate program that I designed specifically for staff at UCSF. Mm-hmm. And it, there was a small, small group of maybe 20 in our cohort, and a lot of sharing of our lived experiences, a lot of soul searching. Mm-hmm. I think it was a, a really great, diverse group that I think held both identities that have been historically marginalized and privileged identities. And and so there was a lot of opportunity to kind of dissect that in a variety of ways for all of us to learn from each other and engage in how it applied to our work. And lots of changes came from that whole crew of, you know, policies and things that they applied locally in their departments. So, yeah. That's cool. And Stacy, you were in development at the time, yes? I was in university development. I was the director of finance and administration for the development office. And the development office at UCSF is centralized. So I also had responsibility for the UCSF foundation, which I believe is a little bit different at Berkeley, that it's decentralized, but UCSF is centralized. Stacey, can we take a, a walk down memory lane and give us your origin story? for our listeners. Sure. So I was born in Los Angeles. My father was born in Los Angeles. He was a student at USC. He was in the Korean War. He basically faked out his age. He entered the Black National Guard. It was segregated at the time. Mm. And he was 16. And he didn't have to go to battle or anything. He was an engineer. And my mother was from San Diego and they met doing some kind of uh, sorority fraternity party in LA. (laughs) And uh, I will never forget this. He, they had had me and um, he was working probably two jobs at SC. And he said he had a, 
He said a young girl, and that's part of my origin story. I am transgender and came out after Haas. Hmm. So I physically transitioned in the late 90s, and I graduated from Haas in 1990. That's beautiful. Can you tell us a little bit about your your career, you know, since, I, I guess, uh, before Haas and, and after Haas? So I followed in my father's footsteps. And so I, I would never recommend this to anyone, but th- this is how confident I was. I applied to one university and the only university I applied oh, wow. to was USC. <laughs> and I had no thought, of course I would get in. Right. And I did. <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk about risky, but that, that's, that tells you a little bit about sort of how I was brought up. And I started as a psych major and decided to change my major and ended up in the studio arts. So from there, I, I started graduate school at the U of A in sculpture. And mm-hmm. I needed to be practical, basically, to say, okay, what is your path here? Mm-hmm. Um, and usually the path with you know, masters is you, you teach and then you start a studio practice. And I just didn't see it for myself. And so I, I left graduate school, went back to LA and then I worked at the LA times in customer service. You know, I worked at UCLA extension and, and then I came, I came up to, to San Francisco with a friend and I always wanted to, Ever since a little kid is on um, vacations, we'd always come up to the Bay Area and specifically San Francisco. At my age, that's, you know, I think there was a time when the flower children were in, you know, I mean, I was just always fascinated by all of that. And so I said, I'm just going to move here. And I landed a job at HBO. They mm-hmm. At the time, they were owned by Time, well, Time Inc. at the time. It was just Time Inc., and it was the sales and marketing office, very small in to Embarcadero. And basically, I was mentored. People sort of took me under their wing and said, you know, you're very smart. You're smarter than most of the people in this office. I mean, you make some money, go to business school. And <laughs> so I said, okay. <laughs> and I mean, you know. I really was an artist going to business school. So I had to, I had to back up and take some calculus classes and extension and all that kind of stuff. And my friends were laughing at me because I just kept going and, you know, I got advanced accounting and I got an A in it, you know, (laughs) that's just who I am. (laughs) (laughs) And so did you only apply to Haas? I'm really curious. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't apply very many places, (laughs) but Haas was to me, it was about, again, my age, there's this nostalgia about being in the place where free speech happened and being in a place where a very good reputation and I applied myself, meaning, you know, I wasn't natural necessarily. I worked really, really hard. I even got a tutor one time, sort of for the quant stuff. But I, you know, the job at HBO was sales and marketing. And I'm like, well, I kind of 
from a practical standpoint, I kind of already know that, but let me do something that I don't know how to do. And I just dove right into it. So my summer internship, I thought, well, let me marry the two. So I did an internship with Citibank in marketing, but at the time, marketing for Citibank was designing checks. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> marketing for the bank. <laughs> and so, this is another funny story. My family grew up with Pepsi. I mean, it, it's not really funny. They put Pepsi in in baby bottles. Baby bottles. And yep. So I'm like, okay. Pepsi's recruiting. And again, my sort of boldness, the CEO of PepsiCo was on the cover of Fortune. And I decided, let me write this guy. Because at the time, my first year, I was with Black Student Union and other folks. And my first year, I had written something about what we didn't call it diversity and inclusion at the time, but as a student, I got published in the Wall Street Journal for, I think I was commenting on George Bush. So I, I wrote this guy, you know, it's probably for my dad, like you just keep pushing forward. And, and believe it or not, even though I had gotten an interview set up, I literally got a letter from John Scully, who was the CEO at the time, and somebody had called me and said, we got this letter and we want to set up an interview for you. And it was amazing. I said, well, thank you. I actually already have an interview, but I, I learned that like writing campaigns, they work. That's incredible. <laughs> that is inspirational. Yeah. So I, I started as a senior business planner right out of business school in finance in the San Francisco office of Pepsi, Pepsi-Cola which is the bottling operation. So looking back, Stacey, in your introduction, you mentioned that you are a transgender. And I was sharing with Sean that when you grow up with not a lot of representation of you in the media, there are these kind of moments that might stand out as you're developing as a young person. And, and for me, one of those moments was like seeing uh, a Red Hot Chili Peppers video for Fight Like a Brave, where they have extensive footage of Mexica dancers at La Salvera in LA. Mm -hmm. And then like Tupac had a reference in one of his songs that like, it wouldn't be LA without Mexicans, right? Like, so there was these moments of like, oh, they know I exist. You know, I don't see myself anywhere in popular media, but there are these connections of of like a reality check of sorts. And I'm wondering, you know, as, as somebody who transitioned after Haas, <laughs> if there were moments earlier in your life that you saw yourself reflected or connected to something that was like, that's me, that's who I am, but just not having the language or space representation in, in ways of, as a path forward, maybe. Or if you could share some of what your experience was like, given that it was a different era and generation. Mm. In terms of seeing myself, I think I will say this. I identify more with being African-American and even being in the Black Student Union as a person of color. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to find the right professional words, but Alida, you know what it's intersectionality. Yeah. Thank yes. you um, for myself. <laughs> intersectionality. <laughs> um, and so... Though growing up, even in Haas, I mean, 
that's we're really taught like the most important thing that we can do, meaning in my family with my, particularly my mother is vote, right? Mm. Civic engagement has always been really, really important to me. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I, even when I was 12 decided that I want, I, my mom dropped me off and I wanted to go to a Shirley Chisholm she was running for president yes. and the Shirley Chisholm rally. I mean, th- those are the kinds yeah. of things. That's that's who I still continue to look for. It wasn't until <clears throat> later on when I saw really a photographer who did basically a photo book of trans people that I, I looked at it and to your point about images, I, but this is a little different. I'm like, oh, that's that's what I am. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I think some folks in the trans community can relate to that. And others mm-hmm. will tell you these other stories. I mean, I've always known since I was five, but it wasn't mm-hmm. it, even in, in sort of my walk now in life, that's not front and center necessarily. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm out and I'm not out if that, if that makes any sense. And I think, literally you know people tell you this as you age you get a different perspective and so i think early on i would not necessarily come out after i physically transitioned my thought was it's private it's it's this is not what i'm talking about i work but i feel this is a moment i think this is a moment that i can lend my voice and i have lent my voice i mean folks have reached out to me and Years ago, I did some media, and now I'm beginning to do a little bit more. But long-winded way to get to kind of your question, um, I, I, even even now, I um, it, it is it is the African it is the indigenous artists and writers who are out there pushing the boundaries of their art. And their politics is is sort of where where I'm landing right now after I've um, retired and don't have to think about, you know, debits and credits. You know, speaking of artists, can you share with us a little bit about your writings and your work? I'm not a slam poet, so I I don't have anything memorized. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I finished a full length manuscript on African American women in the military, and now I'm writing a sci fi full length poem. But the military has been sort of a central theme in my family. I'm probably fourth generation. I mean great grandfathers were in the Union Army and mm-hmm. They're Buffalo soldiers and that kind of thing. And even first cousins, second cousins, third cousins. And so when I think his name was Miley, I don't know, when the general said he shouldn't have been there, when he apologized for walking the walk with President Trump, basically I had a poem that repeated somebody shouldn't have been there, right? Somebody shouldn't have been there. Somebody's knee shouldn't have been on somebody's neck. They shouldn't have been there. I mean, that if you, you know, it was sort of, repetitive that way um and so i haven't i haven't memorized it but i think you get the gist of where i was Mm -hmm. going yeah thank you for sharing that yeah so maybe if we can 
have you speak a little bit about, well, I'll, I'll say one of the, my areas of interest of inviting you in and, and asking you to share your voice is also some of the conversations you and I have had around, you know, workplace practices and things that you had to navigate before there were real policies in place to support that transition, including mm -hmm. name. And, and so I'm wondering if there are, you know, anything that you're reflecting on now in this moment, as you were saying that you're lending your voice vis-a-vis uh, -vis what your experience was, you know, in the 90s and any insights that you have around that wisdom that comes with age and, and time yeah. as well, based on what you're observing, you know, this kind of celebration that there is now and kind of more increased awareness around, you know, the threats to, to transgender, you know, people of color in particular. Well, you know, it's it's a really interesting topic because folks who have chosen to physically transition, and I've I've done that, and with age, you be, you begin to blend in, right? And almost that's as a kid and going through struggles. That's what you've always wanted, right? You yeah. don't want announce that's that yeah. this is what i've always wanted this is who i am right i am a black yeah. man right but i don't think it's any different then or now mm. that this is a very private decision with very public consequences mm. and regardless of folks who are allies and it's much more prevalent now that celebrities have come out that celebrity right i don't I, I mean i know that there have mostly male born male so trans women now or in transition who i even worked for a trans woman who you know, was a CEO and there are a different struggle, partially because of just the, the dynamics of the hormones is that it's more difficult for them to pass, if at all. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing, I was a mayoral appointee on the San Francisco Transgender Civil Rights Implementation Task Force way back when. And I will tell you, white trans women, they have a hard time letting go of that privilege mm. that they are so used to. And that's their awakening. Well, to be more specific, I remember us having conversations about even having your information from Haas transferred over to UCSF under your your name and, and having to go through some loops and having your own folks at UCSF step in to support you uh, in making that happen because it was before there were some clear policies in place. And so as we're thinking about what are, you know, kind of tweaks in the workplace that can be mm -hmm. made to support folks or, or that on the contrary, that accidentally out people who don't want to be outed. Right. Um, so kind of taking those kinds of things into consideration. 
I think that that is the most important thing. It's almost like you need to ask somebody for a hug, right? I mean, if you're a huggy person, you need to ask permission. I mean, just because someone is trans and you know that they are and they're out, that's still the, you still need to ask permission, right? It's, it's, it's really, really yeah. important to ask permission and not assume, right? That because you know, right? Or you've been a part of their life before, and now it, it's important to fight for that. Um, the situation you're referencing is I, for the longest time, did not engage with USC or Haas for that matter, because they continue to send me alumni stuff in my old name. And Stacy is not my old name <laughs> by any, it's a nickname, but it, it's not my birth name. And I, went through all of the things that you're supposed to, you know, I got my records changed for whatever reason. And I don't know why alumni databases don't sync up <laughs> with anything else. Um, and that just pissed me off and it's, it's, it's actually triggering, you know, and it's been a while for me. It was still triggering. Like, I don't know how many times I've tried to send emails or write to alumni associations or what have you. Well, the person you're talking about, he no longer works at UCSF, but he was very, he was a senior director of alumni relations and he was very tied in with all of the alumni directors in all mm. different schools. And he happened to be tied into USC and UC Berkeley. And I don't know how we got into this, but I had a conversation with him and I said, you know, this is really upsetting. I'd love to engage, but you know, they won't change my name. He literally became an advocate to, I will handle it. That, that next day it was done. Wow. And that was the, that was the intervention. Yeah. I have to follow up that thought with uh, something that you brought up, this idea of uh, public and private, right? I mean, for transgender people, you know, it, it is very much a private matter. But then there is this conflict of interest where we need to push for public policies and, and push for change to accommodate, right, uh, to, to, to be mindful of, of transgender people. How do you reconcile that, that private public conflict? Or what are some ways, you know, people can, or allies, or just uh, as a society, we can um, help with that without outing people? So I would say it's not dissimilar from being an ally of a person of color, that it is the allies job, if you will, to educate themselves on what history, <laughs> history and <laughs> current affairs and what the issues are. And it's really, it's, it's, it's not either the person of color and or the trans person's job to necessarily educate. So I would say that's number one. Thank you, Stacey, for for kind of reinforcing that the onus really is on allies to learn for ourselves, right? How we can do better in all of these spaces. I think it's also worth noting, you know, you mentioned a very clear difference between the experience of a trans woman or a trans male, right? In terms of privilege or their ability to pass. 
And I just want to also take into consideration that the umbrella, you know, also includes folks who might be gender fluid or non-conforming. And so there's multiple layers and, and folks who are all included in the trans umbrella that would have potentially different needs that we need to be mindful of, right? Like use of pronouns is, is one example, you know, the single use restrooms to be gender neutral, all those sorts of things that are now state policy, right? But I think I wonder, Sean, if what you're what, what you're asking about is how do we make sure we're making informed decisions for the trans community without outing somebody by including them at the table in making those informed decisions? Like I asked you for permission before I shared with the rest of the team your identity to make sure that this was a platform you wanted to share that identity within. Yeah, and I and I think again I can go back to the asking permission. I mean, my earlier on, I didn't consider myself an activist, but I, I, if you look at back at the things that I was doing, I was speaking, I was on the board of the, you know, at the time the San Francisco LGBT project. I've, I've always been interested in civil engagement. And so when I heard that there was a, a commission that was, it was a task force really, that was really going to advise the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco. At the time, it was Mark Leno's uh, task force. I, I, you know, talked to, basically, I talked to my wife, <laughs> was connected to someone. And so everybody was out at the time. It, it's, I, I think it's a constant for me anyway, and I can't speak for anybody else. For me, it's not, I don't have an answer the same answer every time. I think the situation is different and it really depends on the situation and who's asking the question and how I feel about that person and my sussing out, if you will, of the situation. And I am just at a point right now where I'm okay talking about this in sort of a, a, an, an alumni setting. I uh, my coming out in my corporate environment, I mean, they did some things that were amazing. The company doesn't exist anymore, but after Pepsi, I went to a company called AirTouch Communications and I was in corporate finance staff there. And what we ended up doing in consultation with someone else is, and some folks, when I say this story, they go, what? But I thought at the time, they basically decided that I could use the bathroom. And that was a one cow. Um, that, that building is still there, but, you know, they don't occupy it. And I thought it was perfectly fine. And I ran into a couple of times the CEO and the CFO. And there was sort of this moment of, you know, like on both sides, but, <laughs> oh, you're in the male bathroom. Oh, okay. Um, and... When I had my first surgery, they, you know, everybody in my team and even they made an announcement, right, to, to folks that I work with because I, I was in a relatively high profile position. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't anything that I could, you know, just sort of slink and nobody would see, you know, what was going on. I don't know how that works today. I don't know if if I mean, I, I'm glad you mentioned gender fluid folk. There are folks who 
they they don't they won't and they're choosing not to physically transition and so there is no there is no one size fit all there there mm. just really is not and i think that that's in the workplace i think that that's the most important thing people who are in who can influence right who are management position and who, who can influence policy that literally it's very fluid and that they they have to engage their employees with heart right we are human beings when i was first transitioning this should not be the case but because i was okay i'm an overachiever because i was a solid performer that it made a difference that should not be the case right i mean you should be able to be a marginal performer and folks should be able to make an accommodation whatever that means in the moment and uh, I guess humans are humans, right? I mean, it's human nature and I, I can sort of visualize for myself trying to make that distinction between performance and what's the right thing to do with respect to someone's humanity. So I don't know what the answer is there, but I, I do know it's real. You know, in all these years of, of working and advising, do you have any advice for Hoth alumni who may be in positions of power at their companies who may be able to influence change you know how should they go about it and and maybe even including aspiring allies who don't yet know how mm. to be an ally but but have that that position of power or influence it's 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 a fair question and um i, I i'm just an individual who can just talk about my own personal experience I haven't, even though I was on the employment, <laughs> on the task force, basically I chose to be on the employment committee. And so this is always something that I've thought, thought about and engaged on. And I, I'm going to come up short on that one. I don't, I don't know if there is, is an answer um, other than please follow the law. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm going to take the other side for a moment. I mean, this is... I don't want to assume that all of the audience is necessarily, you know, at the same place, right? That that you might be, or that I am, or, or you know, Sean, you're asking very. Um, I can tell by the the way that you're asking the question. It's you, you're open. You really just want to know, and I think that's all I can say is that's really the spirit. Of, um, so I think each situation, I think each company is different. I don't know if anybody is is teaching this in in business school, but I I would hope that if they haven't. I don't know what academic would, would take it on, but I would hope that somebody is taking it on because it's very complex. Yeah. Thank you for being thoughtful about it. And I, I appreciate that there is no perfect answer. And at the same time, I imagine there are a number of resources and toolkits that kind of coming back to your original point, Stacey, of like, 
that folks can Google and, and read and inform themselves with. And I think the value of a podcast like this one is, you know, you might remember Stacy in our class on Unconscious Bias that one of the kind of primary interventions was, you know, surround yourself with more examples and exemplars of ways of being X identity, right? And that intersectionality that you referenced earlier. And so I think that even by humanizing, by sharing your story, right, is part of my motivation in participating and in suggesting you in this series is um, that it allows somebody to have at least a, um, a connection to a person that is trans, right? If they don't know of somebody in their personal circle, right? Because I sometimes hear like, oh, I don't know anybody. I'm like, you just don't know that you don't know, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's also the case. But being able to hear your story of like having such a strong uh, identity of of civic duty, of, you know, African-American representation, having that being at the forefront, having all of your business acumen, right? And this is another part of who you are, right? And what you've had to navigate in your life. And I think it just allows for somebody to have one more possibility of what that that experience might look like, right? In the full range of what trans uh, lives might be about, or, you know, in, in every kind of industry and racial makeup and gender identity. I, I will say this as well. We didn't talk about it. I mean, there may could be listeners who have thought about transitioning or are in the process of transitioning mm-hmm. as well. I recall, you know, you think about your family and your loved ones, but I recall I had a very close relationship with my managing director at the time. And she shared with me, she said, you know, I just got to tell you this. I feel like I'm going through a little death, meaning and 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 people do feel that way when you are connected to this other person in this image of this person and you want to support them and that person isn't going to show up tomorrow, right? It's going to be some other, it's going to look like something else and you may engage with that person differently. And so even in the workplace, your employer is also transitioning as well. And so having space for that of, of, thinking about that and giving people time, right? It, it, I can say this now, what, you know, at 60, but giving people time to adjust is also happened to me. And I, I think it, it, sometimes you can get impatient, but, but, yeah. you know, everybody is transitioning around you. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I know that one of the, I try to be really transparent about stumbles I've had to normalize and, and you know, the, normalize that we all stumble and that you, you still can get up and keep trying and, and working at being a good ally. And I'll, I'll say that I, I noticed for myself, I struggle with misgendering folks when I've known them before and after versus when I've just known them after a transition. And each time I catch myself and I always feel horrible for it, right? And I, it's like that immediate, like, oh, I did it. And here I am, right? And I've experienced friends and loved ones being very forgiving of me, but I imagine it's still 
it's a microaggression that accumulates, right? That it's still creating <laughs> of like, oh, this person just called me by the wrong gender again. You know, it's like, oh, I did that, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I hear you. I think that it's in the moment, I imagine it's really challenging for folks to continue to have that patience and, and for it to not feel hurtful. You know, I, I would imagine it would feel hurtful if somebody's essentially saying I'm grieving a loss when you feel like, I'm aligned with who I've always been. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think yeah. that's a really important perspective that you share, Stacey. And this is something we, I touched upon in a prior episode with another alumni, Ace Patterson. And to a similar point, he says, you know, you have to be willing to make mistakes, right, for change to happen. And what I hope listeners don't take away from our conversation is that they, they don't need to try. Right, they, mm-hmm. they they need to shy away from those mistakes uh, versus embracing that, and and knowing that is the right direction forward. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think as, as long as uh, the way I think about it is like as long as if you're stumbling, you're still stumbling forward, right? <laughs> don't don't fall back. But that it's also about the recovery, right? Um, being willing to hear feedback or that that something didn't land the way you thought it was intended that there's there is the opportunity for recovery and trust if there is relationship right but if somebody shuts down in either direction right it makes it more challenging to continue to grow and i appreciate though that i think what you're saying stacy is like now you have uh, an ability to look back in a way that maybe as you were going through it was it was harder to to hear or to take or to be in relationship with somebody. And, but I do hope that we all continue to be students always and confidence without attitude, I think is a real key part of also what you're sharing in terms of like the humility aspect of just embracing that, that we know some things, right. And we know we're good at them and yeah, no need to, to kind of shut anybody down in the process. This has been so informative. I want to thank you both for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Really good to see you, Stacey. Good seeing you too. Take care. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the One Haas Alumni Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Stacey's work, please check out his website at snjackson.com. That's S as in Stacey and as in Nathaniel jackson.com if you enjoyed our show today please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast player and give us your rating and review relatedly if you would like to hear more about current student perspectives please check out our sister podcast here at haas or you can subscribe to our monthly podcast newsletter on onehaas.org until next time go bears